Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode 82. Today we are wading knee-deep into the quagmire of roster mania. We're talking all about Castamato, the legendary coach of Mike Tyson. Specifically some of the things that he said about champions and what it takes to be a champion and the nature of fear. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Ferry. Code Zero. Flusher. This is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the truth? The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? Things are going to be a little echoey and perhaps a little noisy this episode. I'm recording this on the balcony, El Balcon. It's uh, midnight. It's one hour until the second day of ESL New York starts and everyone's asleep. Let's get into this. We're going to start with Rostermania um, and we're going to start with the NA region. There's been a whole heap of stuff going on in the last 10 days since the last podcast and we're just going to smash through it. Once we've done that, we'll just cover off some of the uh, events that I missed very, very quickly. Basically, a line for each, Blast Moscow, V-Force, Future Sports Festival, and the first day of ESL New York. And then we're going to get on to Customato because he's got some amazing wisdom that he talked about. And I think he's a really interesting forgotten figure. Firstly, in North America, in Counter-Strike, Counter-Strike Go, we've seen Freakazoid uh, come to E-United. He's been reunited with his brother Cooper. In fact, he's been reunited with four members of the Swole Patrol. He's replaced Moose. Moose apparently stepped down himself. Moose was statistically the best player on that team, so it appears that he's gotten an offer from somebody else. Perhaps he's going to be joining Blameth, Blameth uh, and Rush on Complexity. We'll get to those guys in a second. It'd be interesting to see where he does head. Uh, funny enough, Freakazoid was famously quite angry at his brother for leaving Swole Patrol and signing with the United at the time. It's obvious these guys have kissed and made up. Um, still, speaking of other uh, Tier 2 NA players, or should we say Tier 1, not Tier S, Tier 2? I don't know. The tiers are a constantly evolving term, I think. Still is back. He is joining Infinite. Um, a.k.a. Gage Green, a.k.a. the real-life CSGO superhero from Lazarus. And those guys are moving to... Uh, what, are they, what are they going? Uh, Singularity. Yeah, they're joining Shakesla. I, I think it's pronounced Shakesla and Hydrex. I don't know anything about those guys. I do know that they're people and they play CSGO. I'm actually very happy to see Steel back in a team because... In a very specific way, he often gives incredible post-match interviews. He's a very lucid and articulate player. He's been around, he knows a lot, and he's confident. And I'm glad to see that he might be getting on the grind again, hopefully coming into the spotlight once more. NRG are now evil geniuses. If you've been watching the ESL New York stream, you will have seen these guys have actually played already as evil geniuses. Now... This only happened in the last three or four days, according to the team members themselves, which is kind of crazy. The whole roster got bought out. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Evil Geniuses, they were a 1.6 team. And I think the last time they were competing was around 2012. I did like, personally, the new NRG branding. I think I was the only person who liked that new logo, but I never liked the name of the team. So this is probably a good thing. What's interesting 
about Evil Geniuses, if you're not sure about um, what's been happening since 1.6 for them, they've been acquired by a basically an investment company called Peak Six. They're out of Seattle. And the CEO of Peak Six is a very young associate called Nicole Lapont Jamison. She's a 25-year-old data scientist, a uh, graduate from Columbia, has a degree in statistics. And in an interview when she became the CEO, I think it was in March this year, she said, I've always been a bit of a numbers nerd uh, and a fan of esports and is going to be leading Evil Genius's growth strategy and day-to-day operating responsibility. Now, I reached out to her on Reddit. She did an AMA recently when she became the CEO and asked her a few things about what the what Evil Geniuses are going to be providing, their CSGO team that perhaps NRG couldn't. She mentioned uh, specifically that one of the great things that Peak 6 has brought to Evil Geniuses is essentially money, which means that they can offer a really holistic amount of support for the players. So we're talking dietitians, we're talking um, masseuses, psychologists. Actually, I can quote her reply uh, directly. I've got it here. She said, um, they are going to get full medical vision, dental benefits, personal trainers, massage, therapy, mental coaching, nutrition support, puppy days in office, (laughs) learning and development opportunities, and more. So that's kind of uh, great for the NRG boys. We did we did talk about the fact that Daps um, was swinging out the knowledge that those guys had a mental coach recently, um, and I think back when he was the coach of the IGL, and I recall an interview recently. I think it was with Ethan where he said they didn't really, or maybe Breezy perhaps with HL TV. They weren't really, really they weren't really making use of the psychologists they had on hand. So perhaps with this new support system. They will. What else is going on in NA? We've had the change in Furia. Henny, he of the uh, ex-Luminosity team. Well, Luminosity, they're still called, but uh, he's been on the bench, I think, for a little while, the transfer list, or they've been without an organization. Something's been going on there. But anyway, he's coming for Abel J on Furia. Abel J, as some people said, was the weakest uh, link on that team. However, on a recent stream with DK, he mentioned that it's a possibility Abel J had some of these issues, and that might have been why he was out. Those guys are going to be playing at Malmo next, so we'll see him there. Um, that's right, Luminosity will let go uh, the entire CSGO roster, I think, maybe a month or two ago. What's interesting about uh, Luminosity is that they're, in fact, a Canadian organization. I had no idea about that. I think I think of them as Brazilian these days because they've had Brazilian uh, squad for so long. One thing I noticed about um, Henny as well, and this is a sort of deep level analysis you get on this podcast, he's basically the Brazilian Alfred E. Newman. And if you don't believe me, go to his Twitter and look at the picture of him on Furia's announcement tweet. If you don't know who Alfred E. Newman is, uh, Google him. Um, if you know how to say what me worry in Portuguese, please let me know. Um, I think the closest a Google Translate would get me is me preocupa. Um, so we need some uh, Henny me preocupa memes coming out in the near future. CIS has had some changes as well, specifically with Navi. They've brought on Guardian. They brought him out of phase. 
and they've moved moved Blade to a coaching role. Uh, it's not a huge change for Blade. He was the esports manager um, or some title like that that didn't really appear to make a huge amount of sense. Um, and we did know that he was doing some strats and cooking up some anti-stratting stuff for those guys anyway. So esports director, that was what he was called. Not a big change for him. Uh, obviously, it's a sad day for FaZe fans because Guardian was such a huge part of that roster just kicking absolute ass uh, actually three years ago now at um, ESO 1 New York no 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 two years ago ESO 1 New York 2017 because Guardian won it in 2016 with Na'Vi anyway he said thanks for an amazing two years in the team and tagged Olaf FaZe Nico uh, Rain and Roban no mention of Carrigans, that was a bit weird, but he did come out in an interview and say that he thought the problem with FaZe was really not about Carrigan. Uh, it was more a problem with multiple players and attitudes towards the game. He also regretted uh, having kicked Carrigan, it seemed, because he put their problems down to mistrust in the captain and the fact that they choked in the Boston Major to having some mistrust in the captain or maybe a lack of faith if you are a FaZe fan, you will definitely identify with what he said in the tweet. We had some amazing results that I will remember forever, but also a sad one, losing the major final. It's a shame we couldn't achieve that, but that's CS life. I wish you all the best. As a FaZe fan, just thinking about that final, it's almost like um, it's like a, a child that has died. <laughs> It's a wound that can never heal. That's a terrible analogy. I have no idea what that's like. Um, but in my privileged, sheltered life, that's probably as close as um, I can manage for that analogy. Um, we'll get to phase in a second. Let's just move to the biggest news in uh, EU, which is that Get Right has finally retired from Ninjas in Pajamas. We've given him a musical send-off already on this podcast, so I'm not going to over-egg the pudding. And I also feel slightly guilty because <clears throat> Zeus did have his retirement moment at Blast Moscow last week, and I didn't <clears throat> manage to put out any sort of tribute to him. So let this be a tribute to both of those players. Uh, absolute legend. He's not going to retire completely. He's just leaving Ninjas in Pajamas. Something like 2,500 days he spent on that roster, which is crazy. Uh, now, FaZe, we'll come back to these guys, they have now been playing ESO 1 New York with Brokey, the sniper from X Epsilon, and uh, Cold Zero. I, I think we talked about this last episode because it was heavily rumored, but I think I was a little surprised that Cold Zero found his feet so quickly. Uh, my speculation that he was contributing to his own buyout. Actually, I was not alone in this. Um, DK, in fact was pretty sure of the same thing and one of the ideas that he floated as well that I hadn't considered was that MIBR might have had some prize money that was still owed to Cold Zero and in that case he might have simply said look keep that put that towards the buyout and uh, let me get over to FaZe one thing is clear with FaZe Clan now and that is that Nico and Yanko have the reins of this team what's interesting too and a lot of people were saying they wanted Alexi B on this team because he was an IGL, he was free. That's not going to work. It's never going to happen. Um, FaZe has always had a problem with status. 
And and the issue when Carrigan left was that there really wasn't another IGL who had status above um, Nico, Olafmeister, um, Guardian. Uh, Neo had status but not respect, it appears, by the end of it, or respect but not status, one of the two. Um, and there really aren't any other IGLs who have enough achievements under their belt or enough heat right now to corral those players and specifically I would say Nico and therefore if you think about it that way it's no surprise that they've gotten an unknown like Brokey in because that's someone who basically can be ordered around um, by the top dogs on that team and they're not going to have to feel like they're taking orders from someone who perhaps hasn't earned the stripes in the same way they have like can you see Alexi B really telling Nico or Olaf Meister what to do? I just think, don't think that's going to happen. So people who are asking uh, for that to happen, I just think we're in a bit of a delusional land. What's um, a bit of a weird thing here too is how the roles are going to work. I think it's a shame that FaZe seemingly don't have that strong orp role in Guardian. Uh, from their play yesterday, it appears that they're going to be swapping around the orp a bit, especially with Olaf Meister and Nico. Brokey actually top frag both of the games yesterday at ESL New York, so it <laughs> doesn't look like a great start for these guys, but they did seem like they're in a good mood. Um, as for what Cold Zero can add, I, I don't see how this is going to be an immediately good thing because he's such a closer. He's known for closing out rounds and being the last person left alive. The only thing I would say that could be a good one-for-one in this swap is that Guardian was also often the last person left around for phase, uh, left in a round for phase, and was called on to clutch things. So perhaps if he's slotted into some of Guardian's roles, this will be a good match in some ways. Now, over to the French scene, G2 have parted ways with Shocks. He's apparently going to replace NBK and Vitality. It hasn't been confirmed yet, but um, that's had some very strong indications. Uh, Keo is going to be standing in for G2 for the next couple of events while they apparently finalize a deal with Nexa and Hunter from Crazy. He's already sort of playing with them at ESL 1 New York. I think he's going to be at uh, Malmo as well. What I don't really understand with this Nexa and Hunter move, and I get why... Um, G2 might want to go away from the French scene for a while because they've, well, they basically tried a super team for the last 23 years and didn't really have the results they were looking for. But having such a strong division between two different countries seems to me a little risky. And specifically what comes to mind is the divisions in the last team we saw do this of note, which was Optic. If you recall, we had a couple of uh, US players and a couple of Danish players. I forget who it was exactly. Maybe it was Config and Cajun B. And on the other side was Stanislaw. Um, I can't remember who they were. Uh, maybe Mixwell wasn't still on the team. Um, anyway, what happened was that there was, in the end, a division uh, with people not really speaking the same language. Um, Config was basically spitting in Stanislaw's cereal when he wasn't looking or something like that. I think... If I was Ocelot, the CEO of G2 or the manager of G2 or whoever's in charge of these roster changes there, <clears throat> I would definitely be looking at picking up uh, young French players. You cannot tell me that Zaiwu is the only young French player 
in the last three years who's grinded his way into some sort of skill. I mean, they've had such a strong scene for so long. Surely there's a bunch of kids out there who've been idolizing Kenny S and Shocks for at least three years themselves. I don't think the trade-off um, of throwing away the massive advantage of speaking the same language uh, and getting the disadvantage of players coming from another country and potentially having to either scrim from a distance or live away from their family and friends is worth simply getting two players who happen to be on a team that's working right now. Uh, Hunter and Nexa are obviously pretty talented players and specifically Nexa um, seems quite a versatile pickup because he might be the one who's stepping into the IGL role here. We've seen him do it quite well on Crazy and those guys have had a massive year as well. But I just don't think this is the answer. Um, but I could understand if uh, Ocelot is fed up with having all French players and having to deal with these uh, mono, monolithic sort of national teams. I just don't think this is but really the answer. Um, speaking of mixed up teams, Hellraisers have formed a new team. They've gone full CIS uh, this time. Angel's still in there, but they've now got Nucky, Crush, Scooby-G, and Flaritch. So that leaves Oscar, Issa, Lowell, and Hobbit on the bench, which is a kind of a crazy amount of talent to be on the bench, but there you go. Uh, Nucky's been doing big things on no chance since he left Imperial. Crush and Scooby-G, you guys would know from Vega Squadron, and their MAC-10 rushes down Benene. Uh, Flaritch is some legend from Pro 100. I think I saw him play several times on that team, but I don't know much about him. What this feels like is uh, Hellraisers, they didn't make the major. So basically like in poker, which is actually quite a good analogy when I think about it because you have five players and five cards. They've been dealt the five cards and said to the dealer, we're just going to keep this safer bet of Angel and give us four more. Angel, I would probably say, if we're going to extend this analogy into painful territory, would be maybe a, you know, like a jack, a queen a king it's a safe it's a safe amount of points but you could still have a little tussle with your luck um a little roll of the dice with your luck uh this is probably going to be a more cohesive lineup if anything it was a bit of a dog's breakfast that last one so hopefully um we see players like oscar and hobbit and issa poor old issa got uh, left in the mud somewhat didn't he with um, Woxic doing big things on um, Malsports. Hopefully those guys will uh, find their feet in the near future. Funnily enough, Flusher and Golden have returned to Fnatic. That's pretty nutball. Golden's going to leave by February, I predict. And Olaf is going to come back for one lap in memoriam around the Oval. Um, that's pretty cynical. Um but this does seem a bit like, really, this is the only solution you guys could come up with. What I think happened here is that Flusher said, I would like to come back. Um, and with the returning of Flusher, they went, oh, shit, we need an IGL. Who's available? Oh, Golden. <laughs> Golden's basically the only Swedish IGL available right now. Look, we won a couple of tournaments with him. Let's do it again. Uh, I've talked about this so many times on this podcast, but... The question still remains, and maybe we'll get to the bottom of it one day in a special investigative episode, but why did these guys win 
WESG and Katowice when previously, right up before that tournament, they'd been so bad with this lineup. I don't think they've ever clarified this as far as I know, or perhaps they've given some reasons that have been contradictory. Uh, but it could be that these guys have worked out why and why in particular in that tournament they absolutely played out of their brains and it wasn't just flusher clutching because they definitely looked better as a team. Um, perhaps it was Golden's you know, abandoning his attempt to be moulding the team to his particular ways because he knew he was being kicked um, and just sort of letting it all hang out. Uh, I have been assured by a listener, I forget your name, sorry, uh, who it was actually, but um, he does assure me that it was actually Golden's mid-round calls that won them those tournaments, so who knows? Who knows? As I said, I think Golden um, will probably leave this team by February. Olaf will come back. Uh, Their reunion will not really impress too much, and then he'll probably eventually move out again to a Tier 2 international mix. Um... Now, we did mention Alexi B as someone people wanted to see on phase, but uh, the resounding call of the public has been one of derision and anger towards the remaining players of Ents for seemingly backstabbing Alexi B. This is classic deification by the mob of someone who previously was simply a liked figure in the community and not uh, possessing of the Jesus-esque aura, which he has now been um, beatified with by the community. I think this really reminds me of people who idolize Ziz. I think it's, I think it's how you pronounce his name. Z-Y-Z-Z. He was the... Uh, the bodybuilder from the western suburbs. I, I, having some Counter-Strike listeners uh, for this podcast, this is a reference that I think would not go over your head because often when I'm playing matchmaking, Ziz is on people's picture profiles. Uh, if you don't know who he is, probably worth a Google because it's interesting how he's become <clears throat> a figure of, uh, I guess, a lot of appreciation since he died. I think he died quite young, like 18 or 19 or 20. And he's definitely been, he's definitely had the James Dean effect since his death because people have idolized the hell out of him when I think, from what I can tell, in his lifetime, he just seemed like a bit of a, I don't know, like a show pony, a um, bit of a clown, really. But I, I actually really don't have much idea about it. Um, but I think, look. You guys have no idea what went on with Alexi B in that team. Uh, you have absolutely no idea. So stop being Gumbies. And look, it's not about having an opinion. You can have an opinion, but the difference between having an opinion and moralizing is quite important. Uh, I have opinions on this podcast, and they're purely based on speculation, really. That's the bread and butter of the truth, which is kind of ironic. Um, I just realized. Uh, but if you moralize without all the info, you look like a Gumby. There's actually quite a few Gumbies in this podcast. We're going to talk about some more of them in a second. But um, one particular Gumby is Dan King. Dan King, you would know from Tyloo. He's had a stint uh, to replace Attacker recently. Didn't impress in his showing at the Major. But he has been kicked from Tyloo, not only for that performance, but for refusing to show up for a game professional game 
where Tyler was playing another professional team because he was almost finishing his casual matchmaking game and didn't want to didn't want to skip out on on the people he was playing with. That's uh, a grade Gumby level uh, of behavior right there. Those guys are going to be playing at Malmo, and I think I am Beijing quite soon. It's been a while since we've seen Tyloo showing up, so maybe attackers going to go. Look, I've got a second chance here. I got lucky because of a Gumby, and I'm going to do something special. That'll be exciting. <clears throat> That's basically all the roster news. Let's just have a little chat about these events, and we'll get onto some Mike Tyson stuff. I feel somewhat amiss because some of these events now are but a distant memory. But we did have Blast Moscow. And that was won by a Vanguard. They beat Forza in the final, proving that either the wave that they are currently riding of confidence is slightly deeper in its levels of swell than than we might have, or at least I had prophesied by looking at my little weather reports. Um, but I think this is probably more a case of some teams really performing really terribly. <clears throat> Ninjas in Pajamas looked terrible. MIBR looked lackluster. <clears throat> and Na'Vi looked kind of worse, considering what we were hoping to see from them. Uh, didn't really matter because Zeus was retiring. It's a shame he didn't go out on a high. But this is perhaps why they really weren't firing on any, 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 any cylinders, it would seem. There's not much more to say about that uh, tournament. Just a classic Blast Pro uh, tournament. V4 Future Sports Festival was played next, and this is always a favorite of mine because it's just a fun production somehow. I don't know, it just seems tighter than some of the other ones. It's shorter. Um, they've always got some good side content. This is a bit of a dank timeline because Virtus Pro managed to find themselves in the grand final, which is fun because they... Did they win it two years ago? Or last year? Always associate them with uh, V4. I think maybe they won it last year or perhaps were beaten by Renegades in the end. Uh, but they were facing off against Tricked, which was the dankest part of this whole thing. Tricked is, of course, what some people refer to as the fifth best Danish team. Uh, but um, they are somewhat of a meme because of their coach, Hunden, who is somewhat ironically referred to as God Hunden. These guys impressed all the way through. They beat uh, MIBR in a best of three. Um, I think they beat Nip as well, or perhaps, oh, no, maybe they just beat a couple of the other um, lower tier teams, <clears throat> but they, they outplayed VP in the grand final by a huge margin. Some of the other storylines of note in this tournament were the shakiness of Mouse Sports. Mouse Sports were beaten soundly by Virtus Pro in a 2-0, and even though they won their first best of three, and maybe their second one, I think... They did not look good. Uh, in fact, they all looked quite jet-lagged. And if you are a Carrigan fan, you know that he basically has two modes. He's either hyped up or he's got his head in his hands and looks like he's just gotten some bad news <clears throat> about a grandmother who has bowel cancer or something similarly sobering. Uh, so that's not a good sign for those guys. They've never looked anything but kind of shaky or um, inconsistent actually I would say which is a little bit how FaZe looked as well for their first six months uh, but hopefully this is just a matter of too many events 
because it was something to do with their mood that was definitely going on there. Uh, and Ninjas of Pajamas were beaten seemingly by everyone in this tournament. Uh, there's nothing much to say there because Get Right's on the way out. The confidence. Oh, I should mention, it looks like Twist is going to be coming into this roster to replace Get Right. I'm not sure why he is. Probably he's just a pro who's available right now with some high tier um, experience and you know they needed to make a get a substitute in quickly but anyway that's what's happening will he be good I think probably it'd be nice for them to have someone who specializes in the AWP again it's definitely been a while I still think these guys would do better with a proper IGL because it definitely feels like they've been missing him for quite some time. Um, now, I was going to say, the confidence for Virtus Pro in this is good. As an old VP fan, this is very exciting to see them actually getting some kills. Snacks was the top fragger on a couple of these maps, so that's just... It feels like Christmas time. Uh, Bubsky got the MVP out of Tricked here. Bubsky, you would know from the ex-Fragsters lineup, those guys have been torn apart by every other team in the last uh, year. Interesting to interesting to note that uh, Refresh has not sort of done anything. Uh, he kind of had a little bit of a shot, a little bit of a time in the sun there. Didn't perform, so I wonder what's going on with him. Uh, it does also bring to mind the fact that this Bialy episode, despite 82 episodes now and over two years of this podcast, has not materialized. We haven't heard much from old mate Bialy for a while, so I think it's time. I think it's time. All right, let's talk about Mike Tyson. So if you're anything like me, you would have grown up knowing about Mike Tyson, but not knowing knowing really too much because you didn't give a shit about boxing or indeed really any sport for that matter. And you probably experienced him the way you experienced uh, Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods or um, Ayrton Senna. They were just names that you knew but didn't follow and didn't know much about. I've been finding out a little bit more about Mike Tyson recently and he's quite an interesting cat. I really only knew him... In fact, I, I probably knew more about him from his cameo in The Hangover than I did his actual career. Although when he bit off the ears of Evander Holyfield back in the mid-90s, I remember that was on the radar for a bit. An interesting thing about Mike Tyson was that he kind of grew up essentially, uh, well, he was an orphan for a bit. His mother was a prostitute, um, as far as I can tell, <clears throat> and he went to this uh, juvenile center, and there was a guy there who he recognized as having been a boxer from some posters on his wall, and he said, I'd like to try that. The guy saw that he had talent, so he went to this trainer called Cus D'Amato, who I think by this time was in his 70s, and Cus was quite famous for having trained a boxer called Floyd Patterson, who was the heavyweight champion of the world for a while, and he had a specific boxing style called a peekaboo style. I'll let you guys Google that if you're interested, but that was what he was known for. He hadn't had a champion for a while, and when he saw the determination in Mike and some of what he could do, he actually adopted him became his legal guardian and brought him to live with him in this big house. So back then, which was the late, no, the mid-80s, um, 
mid-80s, late 80s, basically. Uh, he had about 10 boys, I think. And over the course of his having this house, I think he had about 50 boys. But he would have these kids who he adopted who would train with him in the gym, in the ring, live with him. He'd feed them, etc., send them to school. And then they'd go off. And some of them became boxers, but the majority didn't. And the way it worked was he kind of felt like he wanted to do this needed realized he needed a house to move into searched around the Catskills in New York which was a pretty kind of dismal part of New York back in those days or I wouldn't say dismal but perhaps lower in the socioeconomic ladder uh, found a woman whose husband had just died and wanted to sell her huge house and said to her look if you stay here and cook for me and the boys I'll pay extra for the house so she sort of became Mike's mother as well um, and there's some amazing interviews with Cuss and Mike when he was on the cusp of dominating the world at the age of 17. Um, and one of the interesting things that Cuss was saying about Mike and the boxers was that he wouldn't teach them anything at first. He would just listen to them and talk to them for hours and hours and hours until he really got a sense of who the kid was and what his desire was. And there was no, uh, there were no barriers. There was no falsities between them. There was no lying. He'd had a tough up- upbringing, like Mike, who used to break into houses and steal all sorts of things. And he knew that uh, you put on a show as a defense mechanism. You have to have all these defense mechanisms because the world's kind of out to get you in that world. And so he would talk these kids out of their defense mechanisms, and sometimes it took years and um i think maybe before we go on any further about this maybe i'll just give you a quote from this little excerpt from this interview because this was quite interesting to me in in how much i thought it pertained to astralis um he was talking about a boxer called larry holmes now larry holmes was at one point People thought he was the greatest boxer in the world. He'd had 43, I think, knockouts and victories and no losses. And he was kind of famous at some point for also destroying Muhammad Ali when he tried to come back for the fourth time. Um, And later on, Mike Tyson said, I'm going to avenge you to Ali and ended up beating Larry Holmes. But anyway, here's Cuss talking about Larry Holmes. And if you substitute Larry Holmes for Astralis, you might get while I've quit why I have clipped this. And all of my life, I've been thinking in terms of developing a fighter who is perfect, and if that's possible, you know, as perfection as we know it. And to me, a person can accomplish this. And as I, as I try to do, I look for the mistakes a person makes. If a fighter gets in the ring, as many like uh, Mr. Holmes. Now Holmes, I think you and I sat together in a fight one day, and I said at that particular fight, well, this fight has revealed Holmes more from what he is. And he showed, of course, he had developed a discipline which he never had before but that particular night. He was able to come back and win the fight. But he also showed he wasn't the clever fighter everybody thought he was, at least to my satisfaction. So the point is that uh, people make mistakes. I mean, fighters make mistakes while they're fighting. And he escaped the consequences of the mistakes only because the opponent isn't skillful enough, relaxed enough, or whatever is involved to make him aware of the mistakes by hitting him or knocking him down or knocking him out. And since this doesn't happen, then the champions usually 
after they develop a reputation, have a way of intimidating, or if not intimidating, inhibiting the effort of the opponent, where he doesn't take the chance and do the things that need to be done, and that he's capable of doing with other fighters, but not with him. So the result is that these fighters are supposed to be invincible, are invincible only because of the manner of the opponents perform, not because they are excellent boxers, because they are vulnerable. So the reason that really stood out to me is because I've talked in the podcast before about how I don't think it's fair to say that Australis are making the scene more boring because their matches are so one-sided. It's definitely the fault of the other teams. They're not good enough and the coaches aren't doing a good enough job. Liquid did not do a good enough job at the major. Adren did not do a good enough job of finding their weaknesses at the major. Um, now, look, <clears throat> the other reason I wanted to talk about Cass is because he said something in this interview and other interviews about fear that really stuck with me. In my 20s and, I guess, late teens, fear really drove a lot of what I accomplished. And it was mainly a fear that I would not succeed. Um, as I've gotten older, and I think this is true for some of us, your fear, or my fears kind of receded. And in some ways, it's because you've you've already achieved so much. But in other ways, it's because you know that you can achieve when called upon. Um, in both situations, that fear can turn into despair. So when you're young, the fear that you won't succeed can instead be overwhelming and become despair and stop you from actually trying to succeed. And when you get older, the fear that you haven't succeeded already or succeeded enough, um, which is also something that is happening to me, uh, can also turn into despair as well. And one thing that's really interesting about Cuss's approach to it that I'd never really thought of is that he likens fear to a fire. And if you can control it, it can be a tool. But if you let it grow, it can be really deadly for you. And for him, this was so important for his fighters and for Mike Tyson because fear was what really gave them energy. Um, and once you dealt with the fear, that's how he defined experience. Experience wasn't having no fear and crushing someone. It was having fear and dealing with it and using it. Uh, so I've been thinking a lot about this because the motivation of what I'm doing in my own of my own bat is such a fickle thing. And this has helped me realize that the fear is not constant there. As I gain confidence as a person, the fear recedes. And so there isn't the same driver to just constantly be achieving and creating um, and driving myself for bigger and better things. And in some ways, I've realized that I've been quite afraid of my fear. Not only have I conquered a lot of it, but I've also pushed away a lot of it and tried to reason with it and suppress it. But Cuss has given me quite a different perspective on it. And I think I want to try and stoke it again.
because recently I've been thinking about some large projects, or a large project in particular, that is so ridiculous in its scope and its risk that it makes me terrified. But that terror actually is the most exciting feeling I've had in quite some time, like several years. So it's a big dream. And thinking about these things that make me fucking nervous because they're so bold is, is, is vital. It feels like I'm infusing vitality into my spirit again. It's the risk of having so much to lose, I think. And so, if if anything that I've spoken about in this podcast for the last year or two, mainly the last six months, about motivation and the wavering motivation, especially with the older listeners who are identifying with the drive in your 20s, it seems endless. And the shifting of that, as you become a lot more relaxed with yourself and what you've done. Think about what what made you afraid when you were younger. And then consider that that fear maybe actually hasn't been completely dealt with. Maybe you just become very good at pretending that it's not there. And even though you might go, you know what, even though I fail, and I've failed in the past, I'm okay... Are you still going to be okay if you get to the end of the li- end of your life and you haven't done some of those things that you were so petrified you wouldn't do in your 20s? If you're interested in Customato, I highly recommend searching out his interview with Mike Tyson. It's absolutely fascinating. It was not evident to me in my shallow knowledge of Mike Tyson that he was such a misunderstood figure in this interview in particular, and you'll find it by searching Customato and Mike Tyson, his C-U-S-D apostrophe, A-M-A-T-O, and Mike Tyson, and it's just a black and white interview that goes for about an hour. He is a, such a sensitive, fragile person, Mike. Uh, and I guess one of the reasons it, it has touched me is because I've never had a mentor that you can see he has found in this guy and it has inspired me to try and find one because you know at this time of your of my life as well my there's a there's a dearth of input from experienced people because in some ways I'm more isolated than I used to be from my friends a lot of them have gotten married they're having kids. They're dealing with mortgages. I'm not doing any of that stuff. And there's less of a continual benchmarking against my friends that used to happen in my 20s. And so I think it's important for me more than ever to find someone who I can uh, get some advice off, really, for the next stage of my life. So Google Customato and Mike Tyson because it's very interesting and well worth watching and some of the wisdom that comes out of D'Amato's mouth is gold alright now this podcast that's pretty much it this has been paid for by Patreons Christian Larson Amen Brotep Trace Beauchamp Addison Eby and Hirodotsu I hope I pronounced those correct 
for you guys and for anyone else who's interested in contributing to the Patreon, uh, it's patreon.com slash the truth to see us go. There's going to be a Patreon only episode coming up. I'm not sure what it's going to be. So if you have anything you want to want me to talk about or questions to answer, get in touch. I'm on Twitter at the truth CSGO or the truth at the truth CSGO.com. As a Discord there, you can also ask questions on there. Um, we have the occasional chat when there's a game on. All right, that's it for this week. Enjoy the second day of ESO 1 New York starting in approximately 10 minutes. <laughs> and enjoy the game. Thank you.